fame, glamour, perfection. What if you could find it all at the tip of a needle? Here at the Lucas Clinic, we strive to bring you closer to celebrity than ever before. With samples drawn directly from the source, you can be connected in ways you never imagined. Do you not agree that the mania surrounding celebrity is reaching an unhealthy level? No, I don't. My clients want to feel more connected to those people that they see in the magazines and on television. Enjoy. So far, I've had all her diseases. <coughs> Must have been expensive. Is there any way you could spread it? Hey, you're listening to Sorted Cinema. That was a clip from Antiviral, the first feature written and directed by Mr. Brandon Cronenberg. Of course, the offspring, the spawn, I guess, would be Ooh. appropriate to say, of David Cronenberg. And it features an appropriately Cronenbergian premise. It is the near future, I guess you could say, or perhaps an alternate present. And the obsession with celebrity has grown or ballooned to the point where people actually want to uh, have a desire to contract their favorite star's diseases. And that is exactly what the Lucas Clinic will allow you to do. Caleb Landry-Jones plays Sid, uh, one of the... Sid Marsh. Sid Marsh, uh, one of the... Uh, one of the employees over at the Lucas Clinic who uh, will help make your disgusting dreams come true. And uh, I guess that's that's about as, as, as good a setup as you're going to get. He, uh, Sid, of course, uh, on the job, manages to contract an exclusive disease from his personal favorite celebrity. That's Hannah Geist, played by Sarah Gadon, who was also in the last couple of David Cronenberg films. Uh, he, of course, little does he know that it's actually going to prove somewhat fatal. Simon, I just got to interrupt for a second because it, it doesn't take place in the future. It takes place in present day. Well, okay, an alternate it actually, present. Sorry, it actually takes place early 2012. Okay. And did, did you mention it? Yes, because if you if you notice the um, the footage um, that you see on the TVs in the background, like the news footage and whatnot, they always refer to like the best of 2011, the best celebrities of 2011. Okay, oh, so I said you were paying attention. I, I mentioned I mentioned the possibility of an alternate present, so I did cover my ass there. Well, you said either or, and I'm just saying it's the second one, not the first. Uh, and maybe we should start there. Um, personally, <laughs> I I had no idea what to expect from Antiviral, like, except I knew to expect something a little bit out there, a little bit uh, a little bit graphic, and uh, potentially I, I was curious to see sort of what elements would be passed down in the Cronenberg DNA. I don't think it's a great movie, but I do think as a first feature and as something that demonstrates an ability to sort of concoct a consistent universe, I do think mm. it's very strong. Mm. I think it's a great movie. I think it's a fantastic first feature, and I wish I had rewatched it before reviewing it today on the podcast because I saw it way back at TIFF, which has now been, uh, it's been about five weeks, I believe. Yeah. I saw an early screening of Antiviral, and I really like it. There's a lot going on in Antiviral. Now, you know what's really strange? I don't know about you guys, but my dad was a famous filmmaker, and he had a specific niche for his movies and, and, and audience. 
I wouldn't try to do a movie that's so, so much like what my dad used to do because I would just be so afraid of the comparisons and what people would say about me. Like, I would do something totally different. Like, if my dad made action movies, I would make, like, art house films similar to the French New Wave. If my dad made, like, you know, movies like Fellini, I would make movies like... Sex comedies. Or Transformers. (laughs) This man, this man has a lot of balls because... (laughs) He really is trying to make like a David Cronenberg movie. But mm. I, I don't know. I think there's a lot going on here. It isn't so much about the fear of disease as, say, we see in a movie like The Fly, his, his dad's movie, early Cronenberg film, but it's a lot more. And so what I really like about this movie is the film functions as a race against time mystery thriller because the protagonist in the movie... He's really, try- at one point, and I don't want to spoil too much, not that I really think you can spoil this movie, but he's trying to figure out, or he's actually trying to find a cure for a celebrity's mysterious illness. And I thought, once we get to that point of the movie, I thought that's when the movie really took off and went in several directions as, po- as opposed to one direction. So this is a movie about you know, greed. It's a movie about obsession. It's a satire on celebrity fandom. And while the body horror portion of antiviral can be compared to David Cronenberg, I mean, clearly Mm -hmm. we can easily compare to David Cronenberg. What I found interesting is I think you can find better points of comparison to Paul Verhoeven, who's, I think our favorite Dutch filmmaker, right? I mean, (laughs) I I think he's pretty great. Yeah, I think everybody here at Sound and Sight loves Paul Verhoeven. I yep. think there's a lot more comparisons you can make to Paul Verhoeven. Mm. Uh, but I also think there's a lot of comparisons you can make here. I think the movie has a lot in common with American Psycho. Uh, you know, it's an urban, somewhat horror film. The charismatic lead who doesn't really quite fit in anywhere, and he goes through this like massive mental breakdown. Just the look of the film, the pacing the way it's shot, uh, and the polar opposites of the aesthetic and the content. So, and of course, both movies have like, you know, extreme moments of violence. And so I think there's a lot of, I think it's like antiviral is a mix of American Psycho, the best, the best of Paul Verhoeven, and of course, David Cronenberg. And I think that's why it's a great movie. Ooh, all right. I'm, I have to respond to some of that later, but first I want to get Edgar's point of view. Oh, sure. Uh, well, I guess I'll, uh, I have to admit, uh, both of your uh, mini reviews uh, encapsulated uh, many of my own thoughts. Uh, Simon, you you reused the term Cronenberg DNA, and Ricky, obviously, you spent a few minutes on elaborating how similar uh, what uh, Brendan Cronenberg does, uh, how similar it is to uh, many of the films his father made. Uh, yeah, I guess <laughs> as the saying goes, like father, like son. Uh, I enjoyed this movie quite a bit. Seriously, I saw it last night. Uh, I enjoyed it a lot. I think it looks superb. It looks absolutely superb. The set design, a very sleek, but a cold, bizarre, uh, unnerving type of sleekness. The premise, uh, pure... (laughs) The premise is is pure Cronenberg, but we're talking about the sun, so that's also a little bit strange. It's pure Cronenberg, the premise. I really... First few minutes... I'm thinking, okay, this Caleb Landry Jones actor, uh, I'm in trouble with this guy. I'm in trouble because this guy looks like he's talking like some sort of a, 
uh, low-level Bond villain. You know, oh, he's more than perfect. Uh, she's more than human. But <laughs> the, the performance really won me over. I mean, granted, he's sick. You learn that he's sick. So, okay, maybe that's why he's talking like that. I really liked him in the film. Uh, I think the social satire, as you pointed out, Ricky, very sharp, very good. Well, I would say that my only qualm, if I would even call it a qualm, is that the second half uh, does not maybe live up to the first, only in the respect that the second half seems to deal with a lot more plotting than the first. The first In that first half, I felt uh, the story was simpler. It evolved just a bit more organically. And because of that, because of that simplicity, uh, it, I felt it awarded the viewers the opportunity to really be provoked and think about all those statements, all those political statements and the social satire, as you, uh, Ricky, referred to earlier. Whereas that second half, it's not a bad second half. I like it. And there's a great actor who appears who I didn't even know was in the movie. That was a lot of fun. I don't want to spoil it, though. Uh, so yeah, maybe not the strongest ending, but it, this is still a very, very good movie. I would say horror fans, go right ahead. Check this out. You won't be disappointed. Without the second, or I would say the third act of the movie, we would essentially just have an experimental art house short film. And I think he needed to expand the plot in order to make a feature. And I love the way it ends. It has like, it concludes with a stark piece of vampire-like symbolism. And I thought it was a Mm. really appropriate ending. And again, this is a cold clinical look at consumerism, at obsession with celebrities, obsession in general. I mean, the movie's about this guy that's just completely obsessed. It doesn't matter what he's obsessed with. Uh, modern technology, and uh, I think it's uh, I think it's a fascinating movie. I actually had a lot of problems with the main actor. It took a lot of getting used to, I guess you could say. Midway through the movie, I was able to just like sit back and just accept that this is the actor and the character that he's playing and whatnot. But... He didn't really work for me so much in the beginning of the film. Uh, again, because of his performance, I found Same here. Yeah, I, I feel like uh, for a few minutes I had difficulty, but I feel like again, Caleb Landry Jones is such a perfect—he's such a Cronenbergian leading man. He's yeah. he's totally in line with James Spader, or James Woods, or uh, maybe not Viggo Mortensen. Ooh, so James much, Woods, but uh, he's totally got that oddball quality. If anything, he's got more of an oddball quality, which which maybe is is what's destabilizing. I think, uh, Rick, you brought up Paul Verhoeven. I kind of see where you're coming from with that, but I think the the, the main failing of the movie for me is that I find the sat the, the satirical aspect um, a little bit ham fisted, mm. in the sense of you know, celebrity worship is on its face pretty dumb, and and also mm. which 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 is fine, but he doesn't really have much of a sense of humor, at least not so much as this movie lets us know. I, I didn't, I didn't even detect any low level chuckles. Actually, first of all, in terms of the lead, I would put him more alongside Stephen Lack than say James Woods. Come whoa, on. Whoa, whoa, come on. Whoa. Let's not give him that much praise. Okay. Whoa, whoa. Calm down, Simon. Oh, no, I'm, I'm not saying he's as good an actor as James Woods. I'm just saying he has a similar oddball quality. Yeah. Like Stephen Lack. Of scanners. What the yeah, heck I is agree. going on? Well, okay. And uh, actually, um, the film is visceral, but I do think there are a few grim laughs. And I think that Cronenberg, he does want people to view the movie as a dystopian satire as opposed to, say, a straight-up horror film. I will agree that his touches of humor, those moments of deadpan humor, aren't as effective as a Paul Verhoeven film. 
but I think it's still present. I'd say if there are a few films that were uh, maybe a bit of humor is, uh, is sprinkled into the film, it would be uh, all the three, maybe four times in the film when uh, Caleb's character is standing in line with some colleagues and they're standing in line uh, to retrieve, uh, I guess, samplings of celebrity diseases. And his two colleagues are constantly uh, engaging in these uh, ridiculous arguments about what's wrong with celebrities and their performances. I don't know the names of those two actors, unfortunately, but the, the performances of those two uh, little uh, supporting roles are, are quite quite amusing. And uh, I guess it's another another variation on the whole. Well, isn't this silly how we all idolize and more uh, crucially uh, obsess over celebrities? So I guess maybe I, was, I didn't laugh, but I was sort of like, Huh, that's cool. Well, well, that's what I mean. I mean, he might not be successful in his doses of black humor that he attempts, but he does at least attempt it. So I think he's trying. But for for me, the most disturbing form of pop culture worship present in this quote unquote universe, it's the idea that they have like these markets for meat formed out of clone celebrity muscled cells and people buy it and eat it. That is disgusting. That was gross. Well, I, and I, I did. I, I thought that was an interesting idea. I thought it was a little bit silly how he went out of his way to make it as gross as possible, just by yeah. like the actual meat it doesn't really look like meat. It looks sort of like, um, well, know, it looks, like, it, like powdery jello. Yeah, and and they keep it in these plastic vats. container. Va- yes, thank you. Vats. Yeah, but and dude, there's a bit of water in there. It's very unhealthy looking. Yeah, but dude, it looks like Harvey's meat. Like if you see the meat they serve at Harvey's restaurant before it actually gets put on the grill, it looks exactly the same. But the thing about Brendan Cronenberg is he has he revels in these like gross close-ups of cold sores and needles yeah. injecting yeah. into the skin and into the mouth and there's shots of like tubes coming out, coming out of people's bodies and organic mutations and it's I, such I, I, a... I think this has the most shots of of people getting needles into their arms since Requiem for a Dream and mouths but it is so unnerving and we get the constant heavy breathing and chewing and swallowing of the protagonist and just oh my god it made me feel so i mean i am a hypochondriac and i never ever want to watch this movie again because i felt sick watching the movie i think another thing that he shares with his father is it's it was clear to me at least that the film clearly didn't have much of a budget but i think that Hmm, uh, interesting but i think that he he really maximized in terms of in terms of the in terms of using the digital cinematography mm. and very carefully sort of color coding everything and making sort of bathing everything in white and gray uh, sort of rude. to create this this very consistent visual palette i thought he did a lot with what didn't seem to be a whole lot of money I don't know what the budget on the film is. I actually think that's a really, really uh, important uh, point that you just made there, Simon, because one of the thoughts that crossed my mind as I, as I watched Antiviral was that I was wondering, as I mentioned earlier, I think this movie looks superb. Small budget, maybe, could have fooled me. I, one of the thoughts that raced through my mind was, wow, imagine if, David Cronenberg was his son's age now, and if he made a movie, and his movies didn't sort of look a little bit rinky-dinky like they do in Shivers and whatnot, because I think this movie is 
really, really cool looking. Slow down there, cowboy. Okay, first of all, it's a lot easier to work with digital as opposed to when David Cronenberg was growing up and he was working on 60 millimeter, 8 millimeter, and 35 mm. millimeter. Oh, absolutely. And scrapping to find money to fund his movies. Absolutely. Also, in terms of the, the look of the movie, let's give credit to Kareem Hussein, who was a cinematographer. He was also the cinematographer of Hobo with a Shotgun. He's a Montreal based filmmaker. He's made movies. Yeah, everybody knows him from the Fantasia Film Festival. He's fantastic. I think he's the, the key ingredient to both the success of Hobo to Shotgun and Antiviral because he creates like this entire world using these pale colors, giant, extremely giant like photographs, like bigger than life images yeah, of celebrities in the background. And I love his visual aesthetic. Like, it creates sort of like a, a sanitized environment. Like everything is so clean, so pristine white. Like you feel like you can actually eat off the ground, except you wouldn't because watching this movie makes you feel so nauseous. The last thing you want to do is actually eat something. Well, and of, of all things, the extreme white sort of settings and backgrounds combined with this blood spatter that crops up oh, yeah. uh, a lot in the late part of the film reminded me of Dogtooth. It makes the grotesque sequences more pronounced because everything's so pristine and white and clean. All of a sudden, you get a splatter of blood, and it's it dominates the screen like the red of the, the you know. Yeah. So yeah, so I mean, I, I really, really do like the the look of the film. Like it's sort of like a really disturbing, perverted body shock film noir <laughs> in some strange way. Maybe yeah, maybe. I mean, it's I'm... like it, it's like the polar opposite of film noir. Yeah, I I think in terms of in, in in terms of actual script writing and craft, I do think the pacing of the film is its biggest issue, because yeah. l l like you said, it, it sort of kicks off into thriller territory in the second half, and then in it, but in in the middle, it's really it's quite languorous, you might say. I agree, and I I think the the very first comment I made to I believe it was you, Simon. When I, when I had just come out of the screening, I was like, you know, if there's one thing that Brandon Cronenberg did not learn from his dad is to keep his movies lean and short and no longer than 90 minutes because no David Cronenberg film is longer than 90 minutes. Uh, about like, 90, uh, actually, they're, they're all about 96 minutes. Apparently, he likes his scripts to be 97 pages long. Okay, there you go. There you go. Yeah. But this movie is like just over two hours long, I believe. No, 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 no. I got it right here. It's 108 minutes. Okay. Well, it, <laughs> it feels. No, I, I think what we're trying to get at is he needs to work on his pacing. It feels mm. like it's. Mm. It feels distended for sure. But Simon, I'm just. I just. I just want to make sure I understand. Would you? Uh, which uh, I guess without spoiling the movie, obviously. Which which portion would you say was a bit slower? Uh, I I would say right after we sort of get the establishment of the premise, we kind okay. of linger on that for too long, where we're just sort okay. of having him visit patients and we're, we're sort of just right. getting we're sort, just sort of right. luxuriating in in the in the setting which is fine but it went on interesting too long. interesting because i think that was to go back to what i had uh, uh argued a bit earlier in our review i think that's probably what i like the most it's when it is the the uh, it's when the film wants to deal with its plot and then actually build on uh, the mythos of of everything that's going on that's actually the section i maybe I disliked a little bit more. I liked it. I liked it. But I think that's what uh, I didn't like as much. Whereas maybe what you didn't like as much, I was very much in my own little comfort zone. With oh, the there you go. Yeah, I'm actually in agreement with Simon. I, I really do think the middle of the film suffers from pacing. I, I think he could have uh, 
he could have made it a little tighter. Well, appa- a lot of- apparently he did tighten it up after Khan. He took out six minutes, but I think he could have gone a little further with it. Six yeah. minutes. <laughs> I, I think you should take out another six minutes, specifically in the middle chunk of the movie. It just feels a little repetitive, and you already know what the ideas and themes that he's going for is. So let's move it along. Let's get to that mystery. Let's get to that conspiracy thriller. Let's get to, like, the celebrity on her deathbed and Malcolm mm. McDowell being so freaking awesome. They're, oh, so. there you go. You said it. I didn't want to give the name away, but yes, Malcolm McDowell is in this film. It look, is look, brilliant. It's brilliant. It's not a spoiler if the guy's all over uh, the trailers. He's, he's all oh, over, really? He's all over the trailers. He's, oh, boy. He's clearly cast. His name is on the movie posters. That's not a spoiler. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I, I didn't watch the trailers. Honestly, I didn't. So When it comes to spoilers, for me, a spoiler is like when a movie has like a, an actual mystery where let's say you're trying to find out who the killer is or has like a twist ending or something that you just cannot see coming. Mm. But I mean, like in terms of like spoiling a movie based on like who stars in it or a cast, I mean, like. I don't consider that really a spoiler. Like, I mean, you're you're okay. you're there you're there for the story that the director is trying to tell and the themes that he's trying to like get to and the ideas that he's trying to express. You're not there because there's a cameo by so and so. Sure, no, I agree. I agree. I just people are a little bit touchy about that these days, so I didn't want. And in addition to the fact that I honestly had not a looked at any posters and b somehow not watched the trailer. So when. I think there's the scene with the scene when Malcolm McDowell does show up. Uh, the Caleb character is obviously sick in bed. He's just woke, woken up after going into uh, after being very ill, and there's only this voice. It's Malcolm McDowell's voice speaking, and me not knowing Malcolm McDowell's in this movie, I'm going, "That's a really awesome movie voice." So I go, hold on a second. Wait, is that Malcolm McDowell? Cut to Malcolm McDowell. Booyah! I was in heaven. Yeah. Uh, in closing, I just want to say one thing. Brandon, Cro- Brandon Cronenberg did a really good job. I love David Cronenberg, one of my favorite directors of all time. But I know it's easier for Brandon Cronenberg to make a movie for three specific reasons. Number one, his dad's a famous filmmaker. I'm sure he's got a- an easier time trying to find the budget to finance the damn thing, if not from his parents and from someone that likes his dad's movies. And it's easier to make a movie these days with like digital photography as opposed to like you know shooting something on 35 millimeter. Mm. With that said, technically, it's still a better first-time feature than Cronenberg's first-time feature, I think. I, I, I think technically you may be right. I, I, in terms of how it explores its themes, I don't think it's as interesting as something like Rabid. But, oh, interesting. But I do think it's a very, very strong debut. Agreed. Very strong. I very much enjoyed it. I, I this is this is like a movie I would I would buy when it comes out on home video. Like, but, I really like this movie. But Rabbit wasn't even his first feature. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm just I'm just talking in general in terms of early early work. And uh, I guess that's about it. So thank you guys and thank you for listening. I don't understand how this isn't considered cannibalism. <laughs> Something sinister. It's a weird business, sir.